You are tuning into the fourth episode of our series, Once Upon a Time, Tales from Castle Rock. This episode is written by Dr. Anthony Tobia, hosted by Robert Johnson Medical School's med students, and produced by Mel Issa. In this episode, we psychoanalyze Disney's Peter Pan, directed by David Lowry. To tune into more of our content, check us out at wickednights.com and on YouTube at Wicked Nights. Enjoy our deep dive and be sure to tune into our next episode. Belligerence, assaultiveness, um, excuse me, assaultiveness. Impulsivity and psychomotor agitation, that is Peter Pan. And that brings me to my second point. Most people, when they think of Peter Pan, think of exactly what this group entered in as their primary observation. Wow, it's the boy who could fly. And it's the boy who can make others fly. And that took us to a brief discussion and review of LSD. Well, there's the second part of pixie dust. There's a second constituent of the drug pixie dust, which is PCP, the characteristics of which, that is the psychological sequelae of which, listed on your right, form the second opinion that is usually discussed in the context of the story. And that is, in addition to the boy who could fly, he's a troublemaker. Um, and while the Disney film alludes to it, the original book does paint a picture of someone, albeit a boy, who is belligerent, who is assaultive, who is impulsive, and who is prone to psychomotor agitation. That is Peter Pan. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Street slang for PCP just so happens to be Peter Pan. The story, the original, is from a Scottish novelist, J.M. Barry. When he was six, his brother David died in an ice skating accident, and their mother found comfort in the fact that her dead son would remain a boy forever. Peter arrives at the Darlings to watch Wendy tell tales of adventures in Neverland, where excitement prevails. You could see that just prior to entering the window, Tink has a trail. Uh, and again, I, uh, certainly if it's right for interpretation, uh, but we already know that pixie dust is street slime for a combination of drugs, including not only LSD, that which would allow Peter and others to fly, but also PCP, uh, that which manifests through very specific psychological sequelae. PCP is an NMDA receptor antagonist. Its primary action is on glutamate. Uh, and again, as a direct result of pixie dust, you can actually see, I copied and pasted the actual script on the right. So flying and that dust are intimately related. There's no question about it. Pixie dust contains LSD. This is a case, um, thinking of the, of the tail within a tail uh, of sublimation, and in a way about Jungian psychology and substance use, right? So uh, Jungian psychology, in as much as we're dealing with one's subconscious, now we're looking at it from the perspective of the author himself. Uh, this is a way to express an inner anxious state, certainly one that is directly related to the loss of his brother. Uh, and it's a way for him, similar to Anne Rice, to immortalize his deceased brother. What is the relevance of the Jungian shadow 
in the story of Peter Pan. So if I were to say, we have a student that is chasing her shadow, chasing her shadow from a psychological perspective, what am I saying? Well, I'd be mean, saying the same thing if I said that they were chasing their it, because the two are analogous. So we have a student here, I don't know if you noticed, that is chasing their shadow. What does that mean? Uh, let's say the students here. <laughs> I know that nobody wants to open their mouth because they don't want to actually say something negative about our classmates. So the student is here. Now you can say it. Yeah. And when Peter Pan chases his shadow, where does it lead him? Wendy has it. Yeah. It literally leads him into the bedroom of a prepubescent girl. <laughs> We're beginning to see what Peter Pan is really about. Well, it's hard because he's a boy, right? Or is he? I don't know. It's hard. Uh, that, that, that's a tough one. Uh, but he is chasing his shadow. There's no doubt about it. And that's how the world is introduced to Peter Pan. We first saw him. Many of us remember when we were five, of being introduced to the character of Peter Pan. He is chasing his shadow and he ends up in when Now, why is Wendy in the room that she's in, by the way? Yeah, she's, she was recently removed from the bedroom that also had John and Michael and given her own because she was getting older where there were differences that mom and dad felt uncomfortable. Um, having manifest in front of her two younger brothers. She's going like 12, 13, and 10, right? Yeah. And he's chasing each other. Yeah. It's like animals playing with people. Yeah. Now, you'll also see that there is a salt of nest, uh, there's irritability of that shadow archetype that happens to overlap with the drug that we're focusing our attention on in today's didactic. In addition to all the above, this story may also be interpreted, third bullet, as some kind of spiritual account as well. Who was really sneaking into Wendy's room? Who was chasing their shadow? So we could definitely take the perspective that there is no If Wendy were to come to clinical practice, if, if she were to present to any of us while on a call, perhaps in our department of psychiatry, and provide an account to you, which is of course, the plot of Peter Pan, I don't think any of my residents, any of my future residents would, see, uh, would think to render a medical opinion that, oh, no, no, she's actually being visited by a boy who can fly, Dr. T. Because <laughs> um, I'd have some grave concerns about your candidacy as a resident. <laughs> so if we're going to view this through a psychiatrist lens. I suggest that there is somebody in the house who is, in fact, chasing their shadow. And it's interesting that we actually see this in the movie itself, albeit, albeit I you know, had the uh, overlay of heat shadow there. So uh, I do mention slipping her a Peter. Um, and let's get to what we actually saw. And I probably should have copied and repasted the previous slide on this one as well, because before Peter enters that room, that bedroom, we see Tink 
with that trail, and there it is. And if you notice closely, it's one of Disney's Easter eggs. So this is not on me. This is on Walt Disney. That when Tinkerbell dusts herself off after falling, she makes a pair of pixie dust hidden Mickeys. Right. So that's vintage Disney providing those Easter eggs for us. But boy, does that Easter egg continue to support our theory? Because these hallucinogens are often dosed, meaning that they're often put into people's drinks without their knowledge to put them in a particular state where they have a uh, altered state of consciousness but remain aware of what's going on. That is, these hallucinogens are also club drugs, otherwise known and, and referenced as date rape drugs. So the fact that we actually see those hidden Mickeys has another meaning here as well. A Mickey is the generic term adopted for drugs that are often dosed, including hallucinogens. Is Tinkerbell a marrow, a fay from a stacked universe. And if you listen to the, um, the podcast from the previous slide, um, there is a Wendy type of character for self-real 1929 meta, uh, where, pardon the pun, uh, the parallel is a little creepy. Um, Wendy would then have met what Netta refers to in her experience and her account as the clockwork elves. Um, these go by many names, depends on which movie you watch. I believe these are the Cenobites. Uh, these are the Greys. These might also be the Shadow People. These may be the Lost Boys. And so again, depending on which movie you watch, if you actually read in, to the particular plot and apply quantum mechanics, Leviathan and Leviathan uh, slash um, Lovecraftian theory. Um, um, a lot of these different types of myths, um, folk tales, uh, can be actual accounts of the stack universe. It's another conspiracy theory, just just piling on uh, a spin on the unsolved mystery of Jack the Ripper. So again, I did not make this up. This was again the deep dive that is creating this course, uh, kind of uncovering this other conspiracy theory. Um, but uh, there's an interesting connection here, and I'll jump to the third bullet here. That Barry ends up writing a series of these stories that served as the basis of his first novel back in 1888, but just so happens to be um, the year of the Jack the Ripper murders. So uh, might, he, might he, Barry, have been influenced by the current events of his time? Name the Stephen King film that shares the following themes with Peter Pan. Main character, who actually discloses to us that his wife's maiden name is Darwin, which of course is the surname of Wendy, John, and Michael. This movie also includes a theory of entering into another dimension. And upon visiting Neverland, this character says that he wants to stay forever and ever and ever. Uh, first name of the respective characters in Peter Pan and Stephen King's The Shining, it's, it's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, is named Wendy. But the fact is, is that Wendy's main name is Starling, uh, at least as reported by her husband. 
who may or may not know his wife well. But then again, that discussion is for a different date. That's a different course. So that's the shining. So what does that mean? All right. So if you could buy, if I could get you to buy into this slide, I will hopefully convince you to perhaps watch this shining this weekend, therefore pairing it with Peter Pan. Well, what mental disorder is depicted in, in the Stephen King film? And the answer is given you here. Um, I will inform you and assure you that The Shining is about the psychotic disorder. And you're just gonna have to take my word for it. Again, that's a different course, um, but we do use Kubrick's The Shining to teach the schizophrenia spectrum and related psychotic disorders. Name another Stephen King film that shares the following themes with Peter Pan. Number one, a male protagonist is accompanied by a woman and they meet the lost boys in their travels. Number two, the lost boys symbolize selfishness of childhood. And number three, these children reject adult appreciation of moral harm. I think that should say reject adults and appreciation of more responsibility. Basically a Stephen King film where no adults are allowed and children get to make their own rules. In this case, the novel is about a husband and wife that are having significant marital difficulties. On their car ride, they're actually on their way to um, the wife's brother um, to reconcile, or at least attempt to. It's a last chance and are arguing the whole time. That is the novel. Uh, and I, sh I should say depicted in the Stephen King novel to, uh, in terms of the header on the slide, to make it, I think, um, um, much more relevant. The novel is about anxiety disorders because the anxiety is really removed from the film. And the final question we have to ask ourselves, is it physiologically possible for PCP to induce this particular mental disorder, in this case, specifically anxiety and highlighted here, yes. So again, if you now watched Children of the Corn, again, you have to give me a little bit of leeway here, a little creative um, leeway, because it's really the book that we're talking about. But if you watch Children of the Corn, because I want you to dedicate 90 minutes, not 90 days. After this discussion, you will never forget that PCP-induced anxiety disorder is in fact an illness. And now is in fact an illness that could appear in the midterm as a single best answer. This episode of Tales from the Asylum was written by Dr. Anthony Tobia and produced by me, Amel Issa with research done by students and trainees at Rutgers Robert Wynn Johnson's Medical School. Tales is just one of our courses that sits at the intersection of behavioral medicine and pop culture. You can learn more about Tales and the rest of our curricula on our website, wickednights.com, and YouTube channel, Wicked Nights. Be sure to receive notifications about our upcoming events. Just search for us on Twitter and Instagram and click that follow button.